You know, I think if Jesus were here and he started walking down the aisle and he started looking at every single one of us, I know it would be going through my head. It would be, oh, he's walking straight to me. He, he knows exactly my thoughts. He, he knows this past week. He knows where I'm failing him. He knows every single sin, every single secret, every single struggle, every single failure. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? And before I can even finish the thought, he comes up to me and he just hugs me and he holds me and he says, I love you. This is why he's worthy. Right? I sometimes get into my brothers and sisters and I feel so unworthy. I'm like, why am I celebrating when I know who I am? But that's why we're celebrating. He knows exactly who we are, what we've done, how unworthy we are. But he came not to condemn the world for sin, but to save the world from sin. And he saved us from the sins that so easily entangle us. He saved us. He took the penalty. He paid the price. And now we stand before him as friends, as brothers as children, and he will do nothing but hold us and love us and say, I love you simply because you believe and you have faith and you've trusted him. And now his righteousness is given to you. I don't know where you're at. You come in this morning. Sometimes together with brothers and sisters can feel like that, right? Never forget the Savior that loves you and did not come to condemn you, but to save you. No matter what the week held for you, you lift your hand and you sing that he is worthy because that never changes. So now we get to come boldly to his throne, to the throne of God because of what he did. We, we get to pierce through and come right past the curtain that's been torn in two and go straight to him and talk directly with God, Abba, Father. So let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, you see your people. You see into the secret places of our hearts, and you know us. Actually, we're going to find out in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians when we get there that you, you know us even better than we know ourselves. And one day, when we stand before you, we'll know you as we're fully known. And we await that day. Until then, we're on planet Earth. We're in a world that's dying and lost in sin, and you desperately want us to be your body while you're away, to be your hands and feet. And as we fumble through, as humans still struggling, we open your word. We want to desperately know truth, to understand you, so that we can better be conformed to the image of your Son, God, which you've predestined us for. So accomplish that in us. Open our hearts and minds to understand spiritual things that come from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids. Have a great time in your class. Have fun. Open your hearts, your minds, your ears to hear what God has for you today. And we love you. And for the rest of the church, take your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Yes, and if you didn't hear Corey, if you're interested in going to the baptism class, learn more about that. Straight out to your left in the learning center here. That's going to be taking place. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the third sermon in this series, Empowered. Empowered by the Spirit. 
chapter 12. Through love, chapter 13. For others, chapter 14. And what we've learned so far, let me recap a few things. Corinth, the church of Corinth was really struggling. They were the example of the church that was doing it backwards. They were, they were forgetting what it was all about, and they were operating in the flesh. They were operating and following spirits or the spirit of the age and not being influenced and motivated by the Holy Spirit. But this is the issue. The issue is we, we have the same experience in life. We're always at any moment doing what we feel to be the right thing, but there's no guarantee that it is, and the feelings are the, not the guarantee that you're doing the right thing. It's the, it's the operating in accordance with truth is what we always test everything by. And so Paul writes to them to drop truth on them so that they can look at how they're currently living and operating as a church See how the Apostle Paul instructed them, inspired by the Spirit, essentially God revealing to them, this is how I want it to be, this is the church, and then they can look at it and then look at themselves and say, you know what, I need to conclude that I have not been operating in the right spirit. You know, we're about to have a chili cook-off. We talk about fierce competition. That's an appropriate competition. That's a type of competition that'll be fun and that, that will actually bring us together and, and relationships will be built and we'll have a good time and God is all in that. Actually, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about not just gifts, but activities and services. Anything that we do as the body of Christ is God working through us for the benefit of the body. That's what we're learning. But the Corinthians were struggling with that. They had turned the activities, gifts, and services into competition, lifting, uh, lifting themselves above one another, devaluing others, and they were fighting. And right at the beginning of the book, Paul introduces, man, there's divisions among you. I don't want there to be divisions. You know, so, so we're going through this because we want, it, we want our hearts and our minds to understand truly the Holy Spirit, how He operates and to be able to rightly know that he's operating among us and that we would not fall into the same trap that the Corinthians did. And every church will if we're not walking in step and yielding to the Spirit on a regular basis. This old flesh will creep up and mess things up. It's just how it goes. And guess what? The Corinthians were messed up. And here's the good news. God still called them saints, hagios. He reiterated over and over, brothers, brothers, brothers. He was talking to them like they were babies because they were operating like babies, but he still called them family because he loves them and wanted to instruct them. Empowered. 1 Corinthians 12. We've already, we've already let you know that this is not a chapter that you go to to learn your spiritual gift. That's how we've treated it. The word gift is said once, and it's included in, a, in, a, in, in gifts, activities, and service. The Spirit the word spirit, the word same, and the word one is repeated over and over and over and over in this chapter because Paul is trying to make the point, I want you to understand how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God operates. He said, I write these things to you, brothers, concerning spiritual things, the things of the Holy Spirit, because I do not want you to be uninformed. And then we learned last week by Todd, and we're going to look at it. Look at verse 7 of chapter 12. Verse 7 of chapter 12, he says this. 
He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So now we introduce this idea of how does the Spirit, if the Spirit is showing up in your life, what's the evidence that He's at work? He's showing up how He wants to, when He wants to, where He wants to, for the purpose of the common good, for those around you. And then look at this next verse, verse 11. He says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as He wills. So the Holy Spirit operates in His people in such a way that when He's operating, it won't show up in division and arguing and selfishness and devaluation and arrogance and pride and bitterness and envy all of those, it won't, that won't be the case. If the Holy Spirit is showing up among His people, then everyone's going to be benefiting from that. The church is going to be growing. There's going to be edification. So, look at this on the screen. I want to show you a few things. So, I just showed you the, the few verses. We're going to talk about Christ's body today. Bjorn mentioned in the, uh, in the Lord's Supper, the body, the body, the body. Today, the focus is Christ's body. I didn't say the body. I said Christ's body because as you heard already, familiarity can do weird things and we're used to that word, the body. Not what are we talking about? Whose body are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ, His body. Let me show you a few other things. We've looked at these two verses. Now look at this next um, statement I want to make here. It's going to show up right here on the screen. Diversity is necessary. Right? That's what we're learning so far. You know, Todd last week talked about the varieties of these things. Variety all in the body. All of it, just this diverse variety. So many different ways the Spirit will show up in people, and it's necessary to accomplish one of the Holy Spirit's primary goals, which is, what is it? You'll see it on the screen. One of the primary goals of the Holy Spirit is to incarnate Christ's body through us. I mean, if you, if you think some of these meta-level questions you might have about life, like, why, God, why have you left me here? Like Jesus in John 14, you, a, few, a few series ago, Jesus is leaving them. He's dying. He's going to rise from that, and he's going to leave them, and he's trying to explain to them how this is a good thing. How is this a good thing? How is Jesus away from us better than Jesus next to us? Well, he explains it. It is to your advantage if I go away, because if I do not go away, the helper will not come. The what's better than Jesus next to you is Jesus in you. And you think about the limitations of the physical body of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, at a certain point on earth, for a few years of time, only able to pour into like, like, like a real type of discipleship way, 12 men. You know, if Jesus were here just roaming like that as he did, it's like, man, like, how long is it going to take for him to get to everyone on the planet? But you know what would be better is if he left and he sent his Holy Spirit. If, if God himself entered into every single disciple, empowered them, empowered them to be able to be Jesus on earth while he's in heaven waiting to return to judge sin once and for all. That's a lot more effective, is it not? The primary, one of the primary goals of the Holy Spirit is to incarnate Jesus 
through us, both in our individual life, but the collectively as a church, so that the world around us experiences through us what it would be like if Jesus were here and they experienced him face to face, which is why it's so important that we get this right. You imagine that? You imagine someone desperately in need of Jesus and, and, and you like throw a blanket over Jesus and you keep them from seeing and experiencing the life-changing, soul-saving, sin-eradicating, love-permeating Jesus. It's no different than we as a church refuse to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cover the world from experiencing Jesus. So Paul writes to them and say, man, you're not, you're not operating in the Spirit. People cannot see Jesus by the way you're living together. Let me show you and inform you how the Holy Spirit operates and works through His people. So, I'm gonna, we're, we got several things we have to deal with today. Let me, let me give you an overview of what we're going to talk about. I've got a, two spirits we're going to have to, this is going to come, you're going to see it later. Two spirits that we need to avoid that show up and kill the body. And then we're going to see the sign that God's body on earth is alive and well. And we'll get to these here in a second. But let's look at the first few verses together. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says this, For just as the body is one and has many members... And the members of the body, through many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When he says there in verse 12, for just as the body, he's not talking about the church, he's talking about just as a physical body. I want you now to think of this, this uh, correlation, this analogy. I want you to think of yourself like a body. The body is one. I have one body, but what makes up the body? Many different members. And he says this, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. You see him, he's really trying to make it very clear how important it is for the church to be like a body, one Unified, though different and diverse, we are one together. We're working together. We're unified. Paul says to the Ephesians that you'd be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Right? Unity comes from the Spirit. And how would you maintain that? He says as eager to maintain the unity of Spirit in the bond of peace. So like arguing, backbiting, envy, bitterness, all that competition. You can't create unity with that. And then he says this, he says, our one body, and he says this, so it is with Christ. You see that, verse 12? So it is, I have it highlighted here, so it is with Christ. In other words, Paul goes out of his way to not say, so it is with the church, or so it is with the body. He goes out of his way to say, to make it very clear that what I'm talking about when it comes to being a church, I'm talking about Jesus Christ himself. You need to think of yourself as the church, as Christ himself. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So as long as I'm alive, my life will be described as this, Jesus Christ. So it is with Christ. So it is with his church. One, 
But when you look at the details of the singular organism, you see many different members. Beautiful. Then he says this in the next verse. Verse 13. Then he says some pretty deep spiritual things. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And he explained this a little bit, some deep things. He's still in the mode of trying to convince them, none of you are better or worse than the other. We're all in this. We all come from the same source, working toward the same goal, all empowered by the same spirit. But he convinces them through these uh, theological uh, experiences. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. I want to tell you something about the word baptism maybe you did not know. Did you know the word baptism has nothing to do with water? The reason we think water is because the word baptizo from the Greek was transliterated into the English, which means an English word that kind of sounds like the original, baptism. So now when I say baptism, you think of water. But if I were to say the word immerse, you don't necessarily think of water. You think of the actual action of something being immersed into something. That's what the word baptism is. The word baptism is simply the Greek word for to immerse completely, whole. And this is why you see the word baptism show up in our English Bibles in many different ways for things other than water. You see, Jesus showed up and John says, here's the one who comes who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says, John indeed baptized with water, but he who comes after me is greater. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Talking about Jesus who would come and do the spiritual thing that the physical thing represents. He would baptize people either into the Holy Spirit, immerse them into the Holy Spirit, or fire, immerse them into the fires of hell. So the end of all age Everyone who's left outside of the household of God that rejects Jesus will indeed experience baptism. It just won't be a baptism into Christ. It'll be a, baptize, a baptism into hellfire. So when Paul here in 1 Corinthians 12 says, for we all, he doesn't exclude anyone, does he? We all, everyone who believes in Jesus were, was baptized into one body which means you were brought in and immersed and made a part of God, the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit that did this. I want to be very clear about this because the Scripture is clear there's only one baptism. Ephesians says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's not a second baptism, third baptism. When you believe, the Scripture is replete that at the moment you believe is when you are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And there are some doctrines and some beliefs out there that would go beyond. Corinthians ironically tells us not to go beyond what's written. That would go beyond the teachings of Scripture and to make it sound like there are those who have a second or third indwelling of the Holy Spirit or filling that would make others more powerful and more spiritual and more knowledge than those who haven't experienced that, which creates the same type of division they're experiencing here. Oh, the holy person who has experienced. No, if you believe, the moment you believe in faith, you are baptized into Christ, into a death like his, and into a life like his, into his body, and into the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are consumed and surrounded by God himself, just like the water surrounds you when you get baptized into water. Easy to understand, right? You are all, all, not some of you, all who believed, and he's saying this to the, to the immoral Corinthians, telling them that they, every single one of them, even in the indulgences that they were giving themselves to, were baptized into one spirit, one body. And then he says this, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. What does this mean? Turn back to 1 Corinthians 10 with me real quick. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 20. You have to remember, Paul's in a singular thought. He's not just jumping randomly to next thing. So the things that he said before leading up to where we are now are important. Remember he said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20 concerning paganism, which he, he reminds them of in chapter 12. Now I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with the demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons at the same time. And then in chapter 12, he reminds them and he tells them that you were made by God to drink of one spirit. There's one source and one spirit you all, all of us should be collectively drinking from and, 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 and quenching our thirst from. And it is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. But the issue was... There's many spirits out in the world that come in the forms of motivations and desires and influences that we yield to, that in the same way we would yield to God, and we let them come in and control our life. And there were several in the church that he's going to explain here in just a second that they had let come in, and he's going to deal with it. So I want you to see this on the screen. Concerning what we just said, thinking about the body If you are saved, you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been baptized into the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are empowered by God, and that means no one with the Spirit is excluded. And it also means that we all must be drinking from the same cup, not the cup of demons, but the cup of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what I want to show you now. Two evil spirits that can kill the body of Christ, we must resist. So it turns to being a body among us, as we're going to see like the Corinthians were, there are two evil spirits that can creep in, take hold of our minds, and we can start operating in these two ways. And if we start doing that or continue to, if we are, it will kill the body. I want you to think about a tourniquet that cuts off the life-flowing blood supply to the members. It will kill it. So let's look at it. Two evil spirits we must resist. So look down at verse 14 now. Now he's going to get into the nitty-gritty, and he's going to deal with some very specific things that I think were in the church. So verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. First 
evil spirit that can creep in and start to tourniquet the life-flowing blood of Jesus to the body to make it alive. The first spirit that can kill is the spirit of self-deprecation. The spirit of self-deprecation among his people. So, so look, look what he says in verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one members, but of many. If the foot should say... So now he, now he takes the attention to a, an individual member who's saying something in their heart, something they believe, something they're saying about themselves. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. You hear that? Oh, I can't do what so-and-so does. I'm a foot. Man, foots have to have socks on. They have to put on shoes. They're stinky. Right? At least that's how they're looking at themselves. I'm a foot. I want to be a hand. Hands get to be so involved. I'm just, I'm just taking, just, just walking all the time, always filling the, the, the gravelly ground beneath the, the half-inch uh, rubber that's there protecting, sometimes having to run on rocks when bears chase me. Like, come on. Getting all calloused up. The whole point is he wants us thinking this way. He wants us to think about ourselves as like a body. And I'm a member of the body. Maybe someone's a foot. Who could that be? But when that person starts to think about themselves in a self-deprecating way, I don't belong. Woe is me. Filled with self-pity. Filled with a, a sense of I don't belong because I'm not. What? A hand. And look what he says here. He said that would not, he says regardless if they think that way or you see yourself that way, that doesn't make you any less part of the body. Then he gives another example. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Right? See, quotes. He's putting here in quotes. He says that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, look on the screen. By this logic, that means there would be many members and no variation. If we all thought like this, there'd be many different members, no variation. Actually, we'd end up just being a bunch of replicas, the same member, because everybody wants to be the flashy one. So here's the question. What good is a basket full of eyes? Is that a body that can do anything? Nope. It's gross. It's weird. And in some cultures, it tastes good. Self-deprecation will kill the body. So where are you at in this? Or do you tend to think of yourself like that? Tend to diminish your part because you're not? By the way, let's, let's counsel. Let's talk about the core sin there. Let's talk about the idol there. Let's talk about what's really going on in your heart when you're doing that. You know what you're doing? You're filled with envy. Evil. That's an evil spirit. That's evil within you that's influencing you, that's telling you how to think. Yeah, those thoughts may come in, but do you believe it? Do you indulge in those thoughts? Do you give way to it? Do you let your manner of life be the outcome of believing that type of stuff? What type of person, what type of person is able to work for the common good of the church when they think their presence doesn't matter? It's not that your presence actually doesn't matter. It does. But what actually accomplishes something in your life is what you believe. And if you believe you play no part, 
then guess what? You never will. And then your life will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you'll look and be like, see, I don't belong. All the while, it's just the envy and the self-deprecation and the self-pity and the woe is me attitude that's actually keeping you from experiencing the actual part you do play. If the Holy Spirit's operating in us, the Spirit will not abide. It will not remain. It will not infect because God's children rejoice in the truth. You will let truth, even the truth about who you are, wash over you and be what you let win and what you yield to. There's a second spirit. Well, let me, let me read with me before we get to the second spirit. Start with me in verse 17. Listen to his logic here. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, each one of us, as he chose He's doing it. We're just vessels, instruments. He uses how he wants to, all important. If all were a single member, where would the body be, right? There's no life there. It's dead. It's been killed. Where's the body? As it is, there are many, many parts, one body. Many parts, one body. Second spirit that can kill the body is the spirit of self-sufficiency. Look at verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So now he's introducing a, a different thought for a different individual in the church that's kind of the opposite. The first one is the person who puts themselves down. The second type of person is who puts others down, and in doing that, they're lifting themselves up. And, and, and what's the thought here? The thought here is this. I have no need of you. An attitude that feels that they're completely able to be self-sufficient, completely able to operate be exactly who they need to be and who they want to be without the others. You know, when I was reading through this, I'm like, man, do, do we ever have moments where we, where we say, I have no need of you? Do we, are we that articulate in our mind in some of these prideful moments? Maybe. Uh, but I think it shows up um, in different ways. I, I think it's more of the... the instinctual resistance to some around us that we think that we can't learn anything from. Maybe it's we're still operating like we did before Christ when it's like, people I have nothing in common with, How, what can they do for me? They, they, they totally, they eat different food, they, they, they like the weirdest type of movies, they don't, they don't like what I like, you know, like, what, like they're not into what I'm into, they walk different, they're from a different part of the country, you know, they're, they're millennials or they're Gen Z or they're boomers or whatever it may be, and we continue to operate in the spirit of the world where we only walk with the people who are just like us, who think like us, and it's like this constantly like, like selfish bringing in of ourselves, and we only associate people who are just like, that, that's the spirit of the world. 
The Spirit of God changes people in such a way where real unity is experienced, where, where you, you find yourself loving and becoming friends with people of different age uh, generations that you, that you maybe are annoyed with, but you can't help but to love this person and you love being around them and you don't know why, but it's all because Jesus is in them and you're like, man, I do have something to learn from them. They can teach me something. They do actually help me. The spirit of self-sufficiency kills the body, but it, it does it in a weird way. You see, read verse 22 with me. So he really quickly sets up the argument or the thought. In verse 22, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the bodies that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. What in the world is he saying here? He's saying, think about your body. He's saying the parts that are hidden, the parts that are covered up, are the most vital parts. So let's look at the logic here. The logic of self-sufficiency would be one member, no variation, just me. No variation. What good is a mouth without lungs. Think, this, is the, this is the idea. Oh, okay, hand, Mr. Hand, Mrs. Hand, that, that you would say you have no need for the feet. Guess what? Your hands can't even reach out and touch the thing that, that you get to so masterfully work with if the feet don't take you there. You can't say, I have no need of you, hoping one day a, wa- a flood shows up and picks you up and washes you over and maybe you eventually get to where you need it. Like, like no or how about this hand or eye? You cut off the, the, the veins and the blood and the brain and the inner parts that you can't see, that you pay no regard to, that are actually giving you and fueling you the life that you need. The moment you cut those things off, you die. All right, hand, put a tourniquet around yourself and you say you have no more need for the veins connected to you, no more of the inner workings at all. All right, take the pancreas out of the body, go eat some sugar. What good is a mouth without lungs? And Paul's saying, on the contrary, God has made the body in such that those that seem weaker are indispensable. In other words, vital. You cannot live without them. So I hope that the self-deprecating person who maybe is more envious because they're their gift or their use or God's always using them behind the scenes, God has then now lifted you up and he wants you to hear how indispensable you are. And those who who are on the outside, who are always doing the things that get noticed, he's trying to bring them down. He's not, but he's trying to make it even, right? It's imbalanced, too high here, too low here. Let's meet in the middle and see ourselves as part of the body, all working together. You can't have one without the other. You know what the core sin is here? Pride. Arrogance. It'll kill the body. Neither of these two spirits can live among God's people and we actually be Christ's body on earth. We must resist these spirits. This is what Paul's writing into. 
man, I want you to not be uninformed about spiritual things. I want you to be spiritual people, but in order to, you are spiritual people, but in order to experience the spiritual life, you have to yield to the right spirit who's one, who baptized you all into the body, who is your one singular source that you must all be drinking from and learning from and yielding to. And if we are doing that, what are we experiencing? Well, the next thing we're going to see. We're going to be experiencing the sign that the body is alive and well. Verse 25, look at it with me. It says, God has so composed, God has purposefully composed the body the way it is for a purpose that there may be no division, right? It's the division, the variety is necessary in order to be, this is so, so you can be one and there be no division because you all have such an understanding of how necessary the person next to you is that there may be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You can't rejoice with others if you're filled with envy. Can't rejoice with others if you're filled with pride. God wants to rid us of these things. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and pushes out the cup of demons and begins to pour the cup of the fruits of the Spirit in our life. And we begin to rejoice and suffer with others. And that's why he wants us thinking about our body. Because think about it. You cut your leg. Think about how your, your eyes and your hands and everything comes together. The muscles come together for you to work on your body to tend to that wound. Think about how backwards it would be if you just started just cutting off parts of your body. It would be really hard to do that because everything inside of you feels the pain of that. And then someone suffers in a unique way. The whole body feels it because we love one another. We hurt with one another and we rejoice with one another. And God has composed it this way. You are different because you have a weakness and a strength. And someone in the church, someone in here, is able to fulfill where you're weak. And then you have a strength where you're able to fulfill where someone else is weak. God is so, he's, our gifting is purposeful. But have you ever thought about what you lack is purposefully designed by God? You're, you, we need to stop talking about what is my gift or service or activity. We need to talk about that along with, hey, guess what my lacking is? That's just as beautifully orchestrated by God as well. He's purposefully made me lacking in something, so I know what it feels like to rely on the brother or sister next to me who's strong in that area and can pick up where I'm struggling. We have to be different. We have to be different parts of the body so others can do what we can't and we can do what others can't. And we're working together, which brings us to the sign that the, the Spirit and the church of God is alive and well. And that sign is this, interdependence. Interdependence. And if you're curious, it's, there's no A in that. It's all E's. Found that out multiple times the hard way this week, trying to spell it 80 billion different times and having to erase it and start over. All E's. Interdependence. Verse 27, let's read it. Now you are the body of Christ. 
You are the body, and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church. Well, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong spot. I need to read, start verse 25. I got ahead of myself. Read with me verse 25 again. That there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has so composed the body this way because the sign that he's working through us is interdependence, not independence, which would be, I need no one else. Do you know who that kills? It kills yourself. You cut off the life source to your own life. Nor the person who is codependent. Everyone else has to do for me. Do you know who you kill? You kill everyone else around you. You suck the life out of everyone. And the body dies though you're being made fat. It's interdependent. I have responsibility, and so does everyone else around me, and we all die if we all aren't working together. Interdependent. And actually, God, Paul even describes a marriage this way. Man and woman, interdependent. They both need each other. Because in a marriage, you become what? One. God has, from the very beginning, loving, loved creating things that are different, like puzzle pieces that have to come together to make the one picture. And the moment we start messing with variety, individuality, the moment we start messing with the variation is the moment we kill the beautiful picture that God's trying to paint that causes us to love and rely on one another. Also, all of these other things that we're seeing are part of the Holy Spirit at work in a church, some of the things we've seen so far. Christ-like, you'll see Christ-likeness. You'll see gifts, activities, and services. The manifestation, the Spirit shows up among people. Mutual care, common good. Everyone is benefiting. Variety, they're spiritually informed. They're not ignorant of spiritual things. They're not experts in the world and ignorant in spiritual things, but they're spiritually informed. There's honor given to everyone, and there is no division, which means no competition, no backbiting, no fighting, no envy, no pride. All of that is working together. This is Christ's body. And we make it up. What a beautiful privilege. What an honor. But also what a responsibility, right? Let me bring our minds back to why it's so important that inside must be so right. Because there's an outside that is lost and dying. And the people in darkness need to see a light. And the people who not maybe but are condemned already on the way to be baptized into hellfire need to experience Jesus just like you and I did. And the way that God has chosen to help them experience Jesus is a more effective and efficient way than Jesus himself, the man, in one body, at one place of the earth, at one time, trying to do everything. No, he's left so he could give us the helper to live inside of us so that we become the manifestation of Jesus all over the world at the same time. So the world can more quickly and easily, 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 see the light. I hope today, if anything, you've become more spiritually informed, more, more understanding about how the Holy Spirit does and wants to operate through us, 
And, and your thoughts and your expectations about being a part of the church won't just be what is right, but you'll see the purpose and the goal in it. And you will not let the evil spirits win in your mind that try to keep you from coming together to make the most powerful organism on the planet that the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against. It's the church that God has baptized you into. Now let's work together, love one another, eke our way through this painful, troublesome life, and all the while sing and rejoice and proclaim the Lord's coming until He comes, telling everyone to repent and believe and come join the family. It's what you've been looking for. You will not find it anywhere else. You won't find peace anywhere else. You'll find people who are different, who should have nothing in common, but yet they work together for the common good, and they love one another, and there's joy and there's peace, though there's still the pains of life happening all around them. And the world in darkness sees that and they want it and they flock to it and they come and they say like, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be saved? And then you hand them Jesus. And it makes sense to them because they've already experienced Jesus through you and through us. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son for this very purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes the work at hand can be so, it can feel so overwhelming. Like, how are we going to do this? Yes, the world is lost and dying. And, and I feel so insignificant. I feel like my, my presence doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what I do. I don't see any ripple effect of it. God, you want us to put our hands to the plow and not look back, just to keep faithfully moving ahead and to understand just like the body without a pinky toe will struggle to walk with that little piece missing. You would invigorate us with the reality that you will and do use us and it plays a, an eternal part of saving people. And we won't even know the part it plays until we see you in heaven and you show us the countless, the countless hundreds of thousands, even millions of ripples that affected and changed people's lives all because, all because we were faithful to play our part. We just need you to show us what that is each day and every way. Have your way in us. Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.